Hey, you are listening to Oh Crap Parenting with me, your host, Jamie Gorlacki. This is a podcast for conscious parents who drop the F-bomb a lot. Hey, hey, welcome, welcome. All right, today we're going to focus on the tweens. We're going to focus on the gardening phase, the 6 to 12, because I know a lot of you guys have been following me since your kids were toddlers and now they're not. So I do get a lot of questions about, you know, preteen, that six, seven, eight, that kind of age range. And feel free, you guys, feel free to ask me questions. I don't think this age group needs quite so much work, especially if you built the foundation in that zero to five. So I am curious what people need help with. One of the reasons I locked onto, if you're new around here, I have locked onto Kim John Payne is a parenting expert and I heard him speak. His first book was Simplicity Parenting that I read. I think he has other books now. I think he has one on discipline, but I love him. And I heard him speak at a parenting conference event here in Rhode Island. And it was really funny because we were the first gentle parent people, the, the Montessori, the Waldorf. We were like, yeah. And he was like, you guys are really screwing it up. And he had everybody's mouths kind of dropped. And he really explained this like zero to six is govern, six to 12 is garden, and 12 to 18 is guide. I forget how old Pascal was, but I instinctively was doing that anyway. And then as my practice grew and the potty training and the parenting and toddler behavior, what I really started to notice is how much when our kids are zero to six, oh, well, they're little, they're little. We don't, uh, you know, you don't have to like attend to these behaviors. There was just this sort of laxness or this kind of hope that the child would know what to do, that we could guide them. And he said, you guys are guiding in that first stage when you need to govern and you're guiding before your child has the capability, the prefrontal cortex development, you know, empathy, judgment, all these things. We can't guide a young one like we have to govern. We have to set the rules and the boundaries. And this can be done in a very gentle, loving way. The word discipline means to teach, disciple. It doesn't mean corporal punishment. It doesn't mean harsh consequences. It means to teach, right? And so if we do that, in the early stages, in that zero to six, we build our foundation strong. Our children know the boundaries. They know the rules of engagement in our particular family. They know the values and it just becomes second nature. Then when we get to the gardening phase, it's literally like there are seeds that have been planted and they're starting to bloom and we're cultivating them. And that's where interesting conversations come and you watch their personality I know you guys think your three-year-olds have personality, but wait, it's so exciting. They become these people like with their own ideas and it's fascinating. And so we're cultivating that. Yes, we're tending to that, but we're setting, I think I said this in another podcast, it's like a tomato plant. We put the cage around it, right? So that it doesn't grow all over the place and choke the rest of the garden. And then in the 12 to 18, that's when we guide. And I'm telling you now that my son is rounding out, you know, he's almost 17. When you are guiding in that 12 to 18, it is luscious and it's so much fun. And it is so much fun to be a guide. And this is where when parents say, you know, I'm not my kid's friend. I disagree. I am my kid's friend. I'm his confidant. I want him to come to me and I am guiding him and watching that unfold and being able to trust judgment and Oh, it's so exciting. But what Kim John Payne said to this group of parents was, you know, you're trying to guide. And then what happens is you can't guide. So then you have to govern in these middle school years, this middle zone, right? Six to 12. And then it's like, 
it's horrible because your kids like really trying to become a person. They're, they're getting more peer oriented, but they want to be more family oriented. It's just a sticky age. And so if you're busy governing, it really makes it hard. And I remember watching people in my own community, like taking doors off of hinges, taking away electronics and it was just this like total weird thing. And then again, I've been very vocal about this, watching Pascal's friends now in this guide stage. Now they're totally trying to govern. And it's awful because this is when we should be trusting kids, right? And really just being being the bumpers, like in deck pin bowling, right? So I wanted to hit the gardening phase because hopefully you've done all your work and we have like this really rich relationship with our kids and we're still connected, right? First of all, let's hit disrespect because along with puberty and hormones and all the things that are going on, particularly once your child enters middle school, is all this stuff that comes up. A large amount of that circles around disrespect. So I've had people contact me, you know, what do you do about the eye rolling? What do you do about the sarcasm? What do you do about the disrespect? So I think, especially if there's two parents, you have to really come down to what your values are and what disrespect actually means and what you will tolerate and what you won't. I will say this, and I will tell you from my personal learning curve, and it took me a while. (laughs) I think an excellent book on this is Brainstorm by Daniel Siebert, I think is Siebert, Whole Brain, Whole Child. He has a book called Brainstorm, and it's pretty fascinating. There's so much going on in the brain. It's not just hormones. There's literally so much happening in their brain development. And I've likened a lot of the disrespect to a temporary Tourette's. What I noticed in my own parenting is when that started, I would get highly activated. I do not tolerate disrespect, mostly because as a single parent, and this was, I've talked about how one of the few things Pascal got like severely reprimanded for, like put in a corner timeout kind of thing was hitting me because I knew one day he'd be bigger than me. And even now he, well, now he's huge and he works out. So he's really muscular, but that disrespect, you know, I feel like I have to double down on it because, you know, there's not a dad in the house to sort of teach him these things, even though he has some great male role models in his life. But also I just, I feel like it's something I need to keep in check because he is bigger than me. So he would be sarcastic or roll his eyes. Or I think the most crushing thing is when, and it comes over their face so fast. They can't even help it, but you are the stupidest, most uncool person on the planet. And when you see that look on your child's face, it is so triggering because you're like, I was fun before I was a mom. I went out and did things. (laughs) It's absolutely crushing. And so I would get activated. I would get angry and it would start a load of shit. And what I realized is it really was like a Tourette's kind of thing. Like it would come out. And then it was beyond his control. He didn't mean it. And the next thing, if I let it go, like just riding a wave, almost invariably, the next words would be, you're the best mom ever. I thank you so much for all you do for me. It's almost like he didn't even have a memory of it. But if I stopped and made a big deal about it, it came into a huge thing. He'd end up crying. I'd end up crying. And we lose connection. We'd repair it. But it was sticky. And when I really just started to ride the wave of his emotion, just like we do with our toddlers things got so much better. It wasn't as disrespectful as I thought. It was some sort of brain glitch. I don't know what exactly happens in these moments. I don't mean to use Tourette's in a like jocular popularized way. So if you have Tourette's, I'm sorry, I don't mean to like 
I know when people say OCD, it's not like really OCD in a lot of cases, but it is that like fleeting beyond their control. It just comes out. And so my advice for those like minor disrespects is to 100% ride the wave and see where it goes. If it continues, it's intentional. That's a different thing. But if they're like blips on the screen, try to differentiate. And I would just honestly let those slide because the child in front of you doesn't even realize they did it, you know? And there's no use, absolutely no use telling them how cool you are, how much you know, how you've been around this block before, how they should take your advice because you know a couple of things, but okay, never mind, make your own mistakes. Like that kind of talk is going to get you nowhere. So a lot of times I will, you know, I would have said, you know, I happen to know some things about this. If you'd like my opinion, let me know. I'm happy to offer it. Otherwise, I understand it's your life and sometimes you need to make your own mistakes. And this goes for kids even when they're like seven or eight because they're going to start insisting that their way's better, that they're right, that you're stupid, these kinds of things. <laughs> now, if the disrespect becomes too big, you know, there's obvious like throwing things or like, you're terrible, you're, you know, there's name calling. This would be a still go to your room strategy. This would be, I don't think this can be ignored, but I do think there's no point in trying to fix this. It's, it's an older version of a tantrum. There's no point in like, you get back here. You apologize to me. Like those heated moments are just never the moments for teaching. So this would be a moment where like, you know what? I think you need some space. Why don't you go hang out in your room for a little while? Yeah. I'm going to go hang out in the kitchen. Let's just take some space for each other. I think one of the most loving things we can do and this, oh God, coming from a tumultuous traumatic childhood, learning how to be unsettled separately is super important. And you probably have learned this in your marriage. Um, you know, I had a friend who said to me, she was married and I was like, God, you're so angry at your husband. I can't believe you guys just like went to that party together. And she was like, yeah, the key to marriage is you have to learn to get along when you don't like each other temporarily. Like you have to be angry and still love each other and present a united front. And I was like, huh. And I know one of my faults in relationship is, and I'm actively, you know, working on healing this, but I cannot go to bed unsettled. Like when things get angry, I have a people pleasing trauma response and I, I want things to be settled. I want to talk about it right now. I want all the communication and most people can't do that in the moment. And so I feel like this is a wonderful gift we can teach our children, which is you can be angry and I can be angry and we can take some space, still love each other and come back when we've cooled off. So I would think that's very appropriate in these cases where you're seeing this overt disrespect and this maybe yelling, throwing that slamming doors, that kind of thing. Remember in all of childhood, and I will beat this drum till the day I die, connection is key. So as soon as you've lost connection, it's really time to separate, get yourself regulated and initiate contact again. And it has to be up to you. Even if your child is 13, they should know better. Even if they started it, you can't be. And if you have that thought, they started it. They should come and apologize to me. It's like I was talking about with a client I had like a couple of weeks ago, initiating contact for repair. You have to be the one to say, okay, you know, knock on their door a little later and say, hey, listen, I just wanted to apologize. I raised my voice to you. I get very activated when I feel like you're disrespecting me. And then let your child speak and say, well, I can't believe you asked me to do my laundry. I was going to do it in five minutes. Like, let them say their piece, right or wrong. And then you both apologize and reconnect. It is vital to reconnect. No lessons will be taught if you guys are disconnected. 
If you are disconnected, you are simply slapping a Band-Aid on it. You are either punishing, you are grounding, you are taking something away, and that is not fixing the problem. These may be Band-Aid fixes in the moment because you're, you do need something to kind of make them care. If that's your choice, that's your choice. But I have found across the board that this connecting piece, staying really connected, initiating the repair even if it wasn't your fault, even if you didn't start it. And then they're learning that. And it really is, guys, I'm living it with Pascal. And it's so beautiful because you talk about it, you settle, and then you both kind of say, hey, how could we have done this differently? And that's key too with the older child is like, and this goes for any child, you know, six, seven, eight, they're obviously not going to be quite where the 11, 12 year old is going to be, but they want to take part and they want to take part in the repair. And how could I have acted differently? And how could you have acted differently? And then you have an engaged conversation on how to fix the problem. And these things we tend to cycle through. Like I am working on the same parenting issues I have from day one. And Pascal will say, you're doing the thing when, and I go, oh, okay. I said, fine. Thank you for catching me. Thank you for catching it sooner for me because I was a little unaware that I was doing that. And he'll be like, okay, yeah. And you have to understand that when your child comes at you, sometimes your child can see your weakest link and you have to be okay with hearing them. I've said this before, Pascal has caught me in some shocking things that years of therapy didn't even pick up. And he, he'll say one thing and I was like, you're right. I do that. And I didn't realize that. And so be forthright and say, you know, I'm still learning too. I tell him all the time, dude, you're my experiment. Like I did not know how to be a mom till I had you. So sorry, buddy, you're my learning curve. And he'll laugh. So I think just, again, remember that the punishment actions, these I'm taking this away. You're grounded. Don't come out of your room. No TV. These aren't the solution and they're not going to fix behavior. I see this in the older teens now and it's it's scary. It's scary to see parents trying to parent a 17-year-old who's about to go out into the world like that. It, I don't know. It's, it's mind-blowing to me. So on that note, I did want to bring up a couple of maybe random points to do with that. So one of the things I was talking to an old client and we do some check-ins and we love reflecting on parenting wins together and parenting losses. <laughs> and she was reading Hunt, Gather, Parent, which as you know, I love. And one of the chapters is really about not directing your kids so much and noticing how often we direct our kids and even little things. And she gave this example and she said, I know this sounds really, really minor, but her two sons had been in the fridge and the step stool kind of got caught. The fridge was open and she had just sat down for dinner. And she said to her older son, like, oh, the fridge door is still open. And he said, well, you should close it. And she said, well, I'm having dinner. And he went over and closed the door. So in that very small moment, she didn't get into a power struggle. She simply stated her case and the child made some leaps in his head. And he said, right, she's sitting down. Oh, it was the step stool. I should go do it. I'm standing up. He made these leaps. And it does sound like a minor example, but it's not. And she and I were, I was laughing. I was like, oh my God, that's not minor. That's huge. So there's some critical thinking in that, guys. And critical thinking in our culture has taken a major hit. And critical thinking really is, a lot of it is thinking three steps ahead. If I do this, X, Y, and Z, you know, what's going to happen next? Playing out the scenarios and where things might lead. And that's critical thinking. And so her son did some instant critical thinking. Now she could have said, 
you left the step stool in the door and now you should really close it. Now, A, that could have started a whole thing because her son, you know, is probably in an emotional age. Or he could have just gone and did what she said, but she would have been directing him. And one of the things in Hunt Gather Parent is that a mark of success of a parent is how little you have to direct your child. And I went off on a tangent talking to her because I was like, this is not minor, this is huge. Because if we constantly are directing our children, if we're constantly up their ass, telling them what to do, rescuing them, you know, reminding them, making them go back and get things that they might've forgotten. Like when we do that and we're constantly directing, number one, the kids start to hear us as like, want, want, like the Charlie Brown teacher in the cartoon, you know, want, want, uh, 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 uh. it's droning on. But then we also raise very incapable kids. We raise kids that need directions for everything. And this is rampant in these generations. And I don't want to sound like a boomer, but I remember it sort of came on my radar when I owned my secondhand kid store. And I had this employee who was lovely. I think at the time she was like 19. She was great. You know, she loved the customers. She was awesome. But where my store was located, if I left the front door open, like on nice days, it was like a little wind tunnel and some like trash would kind of come in like the front door into the store. And she came in And she like literally walked over pieces of trash in the store that are clearly have no place. And, you know, good morning, Jamie. And I said, oh, hey, can you just turn around and pick up that trash that's on the floor? Yeah, absolutely. And I was like, when she picked it up, she was happy to do it. But I was astounded because I was like, she didn't do it on her own, but she was happy to do it when she was directed. And I started to see from there on out, I started to see a sort of new generation. And I was seeing it everywhere, which is people can do what you ask. But they won't do it if you don't ask. They're not making the leap. They're not looking around to see what might need to be done, or they're not looking three steps ahead. And Pascal and I had it out the other day. So I don't have a dishwasher. And sometimes the dishes will pile up. And he went into the kitchen and he went to put his plate on the pile of dishes. And I'm telling you, the work it took to balance this plate on this pile of dishes, he could have done the load of dishes. I had about five and a half minutes of like the passive aggressive martyr thing that I do, which is I don't do it myself. I have that. I also have that ultra independence trauma response (laughs) and also never mind. I got this. So he came in and he was like, uh, did you want me to do the dishes? And I was like, well, it'd be nice if you noticed. I, I did a passive aggressive thing for like four or five minutes. And then I noticed it and I was like, oh, okay. I'm sorry. And I said, all right, buddy. I'm doing the passive aggressive thing. I realized that, yes, I do want you to do the dishes, but more importantly, I'd like you to see the dishes need to be done. And he was like, mom, I told you I'm happy to do it. Just all you have to do is ask me. Like, I'm happy to do it. And I was like, buddy, you don't understand. It's not about the dishes. I said, I am raising you to be a husband. And one of the biggest complaints on the entire internet is the mental load of women and the fact that we have to make lists for you to see the own things in your home that need to be done. I said, and that's still putting it on the woman. You eat off the dishes in this house. You should see that the dishes need to be done without me asking. And when, as soon as I said I was raising a husband, because now he's interested in, in the ladies, his eyes perked up and he was like, oh, and like literally at this age, and I could have said this a year ago and it wouldn't have made sense to him, but he was like, Oh, I get it. And I said, you have to look harder. You have to see these things because I want you to be a good partner for somebody. This is part of me raising you. And then he's done the dishes every night. And literally, he's so cute now. He's like, mom, I'm leaving for work in an hour. Is there anything I can do for you? Do you need me to go anywhere? And so he's like, 
checking in. And so with this mom that I was talking to, I was just like, these aren't small things. You're building this into your son, which is I'm eating dinner. Can you go figure it out? And he did. So I do think that like, especially once we get past this governing stage, once we're in this gardening stage, watch it, watch the directives. Are you telling your child the minutia? Are you directing them throughout the day? And one of the things they recommend in the book, and I have had this happen with clients because I work on a walkie-talkie app. Occasionally I'll get butt dialed and I'll hear 20 minutes of an interaction in their home. And they're always very embarrassed. I'm like, no, this is great. Sometimes now I ask clients to put the phone on for like a voice record for like an hour because then I can hear, I can hear the tone of voice. I can hear how the child responds. I can hear the power struggle and who started it and how they got into it. And so it's a really great tool because obviously when a mom's relaying to you what happened, eh, the story is a little slanted in her favor. (laughs) In the book, they recommend that, that you actually set your phone on voice memo and just kind of set it in like a common area. And you'll forget that it's on pretty soon and then listen back and you will be shocked at how much you hound your child and how much you say and how much you say the same thing and how much you direct them. So it would be an interesting experiment because you really don't at this age, you really want them to start figuring out things, giving them a lot more responsibility and riding the wave of disrespect. (laughs) And now that brings up, I was talking to a friend whose daughter was struggling with sort of like an impulse control reaction, like immediate, the immediate reaction is to hit or to push or to yell and not accept feedback and to just like really have a strong physical impulse control problem. And she is six and we were talking and I said, you know, it sounds like she needs like the go to your room strategy. She needs some time to settle her body. And again, if you, if you're brand new to the podcast and you're just listening to this one, go back to when co-regulation doesn't work. It was a few episodes ago. Sometimes when our kids really trigger us and activate us, we're dysregulated and we can't co-regulate. And sometimes they really do just need this space. So my friend is a wonderful parent and said, it's abandoning. You know, she had that abandoning idea. And I was like, okay, you know. So then finally one day she said, you know, we had to lovingly separate. So first of all, I love that. I love that as an idea. If you're struggling with the go to your room strategy is not abandoning. So lovingly separate. And I thought it was great because she like, I think she said she spent three therapy appointments <laughs> trying to process her feelings about it and feeling like she was abandoning her child. And even her therapist was like, but you're not. So you have to remember, you guys, if you were parented in an aggressive, authoritarian, timeout, go to your room, you're grounded. Chances are it was like there was a lot of anger in your house and there was like a compounding effect of abandonment. I know I suffered a lot of benign neglect or maybe not so benign, but there was a lot more going on than just me being sent to my room. And your kids, just by nature of you listening to this freaking podcast, you're like in the upper echelon of parenting. You care about your parenting. So I can guarantee you're consciously parenting, even if it's, you know, skewed a little and your child has all their needs met. And so this isn't abandoning. So then my friend went on to say, you know, when she's all better, I go into her room. So she had sort of missed the part where you don't process. So once your child takes space, and this is not just for our toddlers, this is for our bigger kids as well. Once they take space, the very first thing we do is accept them back into the fold. We do not process them. We do not remind them. We do not go back for the lesson right away. We let them come out. You know, if you initiate repair and go into their room or they come out and they 
I call it lingering. Pascal will do this. He'll hover around me and he'll kind of have his hands in his pockets and I'll be like, hey, you're lingering. What's on your mind? Do you need to talk about something hard? Is there something you need from me? And he'll like laugh and he's like, how do you know? Like, dude, you're so obvious. (laughs) But a lot of times after an eruption of some sort, our young ones will come back, our young people, right? Our young adults, our preteens, our six, seven-year-olds, they'll come back and they won't know how to initiate contact. They won't know how to initiate repair. So they'll kind of linger. That's your cue to either apologize, you can apologize, or just accept them back into the fold and be like, hey, I'm just making dinner. You want to help? And that's when you can have the conversation. And again, the conversation is not you did X, Y, and Z. The conversation is initiating repair, which is, I'm so sorry. I handled that badly. I'm working on that. Here's what I'd like to do better. Let's talk about your part in this. Yeah. And of course, this will be age appropriate. Again, a six-year-old doing this is going to be wildly different than a 12-year-old doing this. But initiating repair is not going over the lesson. And sometimes initiating repair looks like, hey, we're just sitting down to dinner. I'm so glad you came out. Let's have a seat and eat. You know what I mean? Not replay it. To do that, you have to really get good at once there is a loving separation, you got to regulate yourself ASAP. That doesn't mean go to the kitchen and rage cut potatoes. It means spend some time getting your breath back. Maybe go put your bare feet on the grass or the snow. (laughs) Maybe go get a breath of fresh air, but you regulate yourself so that whatever happens next, you're in good shape for that. But then going back to my friend, she said, you know, she said, oh, shoot, I missed that part. (laughs) And so I said, no, 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 that's cool. She said, well, the problem is she goes into her room and then she gets distracted playing. And it's like, does she even know why she's there? And I was like, okay, you asked her to go to her room after she hit you. So yes, she knows why she's there. And the whole point is that she gets distracted in her room. So this whole grow to your room strategy It's so funny because people don't want to do it because they feel like it's abandonment and then they attempt it and then they think that the child should be in their suffering and thinking about what they do. (laughs) And that's not the point. The point is they're learning to self-regulate. They should get distracted. If they get distracted playing by Legos, when they come out, you want to notice that and reflect and say, hey, I noticed that you got really into your Legos. I think that's a good thing to help you calm your body. Yeah, let's remember that. Let's put that on our list, on our fridge of skills for when we get dysregulated. Start teaching your kids these words, you guys. Connection, disconnection, regulated, dysregulated, activated, triggered. These are words that kids need to know. This is emotional vocabulary. This is emotional wisdom. So we talk a good game about talking about this, and then we want to read a few books about it, but this is where the rubber meets the road. So when I said that to my friend, she's like, oh my God, yes, of course, right? Is like, and her little one did, got distracted by Legos, which is the point. And so now, now she has the better tools. But I wanted to bring that up because her daughter's six, and I think it is as we edge into these six, seven, eight-year-olds, how do we use some of these tools that we got when they were toddlers, Right. We use them in a more sophisticated way. And a child at six, seven, eight, a lot of times you're not dealing with like carrying them like a surfboard to the room because they're tantruming. It's probably more like, hey, we need some space. And when, again, when you teach that, that is a gift. That is not like, I need you out of my face, right? Which saying it like that would be terrible. We're not saying, get away from me. I don't want you with me. You're saying, you know what? I need some space to breathe and you need some space to breathe and we'll come back to this. And that I think is how you stay off this roller coaster of punishments and consequences and yelling and door slamming. You can't meet 
your tween, I'm saying tween, where I think tween is more like 10 years old, but we're really talking that six to 12 zone. You cannot meet that with anger. Think of anger as a wall that slams up and then your child's coming at you and it just repels them. You're going to start getting sneaky behavior. Your child won't want to come to you when they're upset. They won't want to come to you when they do something wrong. And believe me, you want your child coming to you. I just saw like an internet meme and it was like, when my daughter's in trouble, I don't want her to think my dad's going to kill me. I want her to think I need to call my dad. He'll know what to do. And I was like, yup, that's what I want. I want my kid to feel so comfortable that he can come to me with anything and we will figure it out. And there may be some consequences, but generally speaking, we're just going to figure it out and we're going to talk about it and we're going to talk how it can be done differently. And I'm going to give him another chance. On that note, I have mentioned this before and I want to mention it again because kids are increasingly getting phones at younger ages, which it's the norm. Very quickly, just so you're aware, there are so many more options. I'm sure you guys know this because you're in that age range and I'm sure it's all the scuttlebutt on the playground. There are many options for phones now that don't have internet. So you can text your child, your child can text you. There are watches this is my personal view. This is not like, I I am not advising anybody either for nor against. I have never tracked my child. I don't like it. I could potentially, I think, track his phone if I had to. Of course, now he's kind of out of a trouble zone as far as tracking goes, you know, kidnapping, anything like that. Somebody would be very sorry if they tried to kidnap him. He's so big. (laughs) Even though kidnappings are rare, I know it's a concern. I know parents are very scared. I just have never tracked my child. I feel like we get into like, what do they call that? Not a nanny state, but uh being under observation all the time is not good psychologically. So anyway, that was my choice. You are, of course, going to have your own choices. But you can get options without internet. With a smartphone, you have to be a little bit careful because the kids can be sneaky with apps and deleting them at the end of the night. You know, there are always ways for kids to get around parents. So you need to know that, first of all. But I would say for first phones, even with a smartphone, you can eliminate social media, you know, get the internet off of there. With phones and the teenage, it really is the social media. It's not the phone. It's the social media. I mean, all the kids are going to have access to the internet. So I've said this before. I don't know if I've released that yet from Patreon, but you can't talk about a phone until you're ready to talk about porn. Like that's it. Because once the child has the internet, they will stumble upon something. If not, some one of their friends will show them something. So you have to have those hard conversations But largely, all the emotional stuff is really about social media. So I think kids can have phones at any age. I think social media is a whole nother ball of wax, and that is your family's value. But I would definitely, I'm in the camp of like, hold off as long as you can. But I wanted to talk about if your child does have a phone, the X text. So this is something I learned early on with Pascal, and I have always reminded him this when he goes out. Of course, it's bigger ramifications as the kids get older, but I think in a younger crowd, it can be super helpful too, because your child hopefully we'll start going and hanging with friends more where you're not around. And maybe it's neighborhood kids that go to the playground together. Maybe it's, you know, the girls gather at one friend's house, but you know, you're not taking part anymore. They're drop-offs. And so your child can send an X text and an X text means just come and get me, come and get me ASAP. And the rule is no questions asked. So when they enact the X text, you go get them and you say, I'm here if you need to tell me anything, but we can just go home. It's vital that you don't press because the children need an escape hatch. They need a way to ask you for help 
without maybe fearing getting in trouble or whatever it is, or maybe they're just not ready to talk about it. And otherwise, you know, if it's simply they're just like tired and they want to go home, they can just say, come and get me. I'm tired. I want to go home. The X is that they don't want in case somebody steals their phone in their social group, somebody's being a bully, somebody's being mean, somebody's doing sexual advances. Somebody could take their phone and then do some damage by the time you get there. So that's what the X text means. And so I wanted to introduce that because I think you could potentially use that before you're in a high pressure situation of like teenage gangs are going to be different than your eight-year-old gang. You know what I mean? It's a good thing. And it's a good contract to have with your kid. I think kids knowing that they have, that they can call you, you will come and get them and there won't be ramifications, I think is vital in this world. I think it's how we protect and yet give freedom. Even now, Pascal driving, he's done a couple of drives like after snowboarding. And I just keep telling him, I said, if drowsy driving, you guys, causes way more accidents per year than drunk driving. Drowsy driving is the worst. And so I've really rammed that home. I mean, driver's ed did as well. But I have told him, I was like, listen, if you feel yourself nodding, and I even showed him what it feels like to nod off, because you never think you're sleepy when you're nodding off. I said, you pull over. I don't care where you are. I will come and get you. And we can always pick up the car tomorrow. It is no big deal. I will never be angry if you call me and tell me you're too tired to drive. And so again, just creating that, I want him to have the freedom. He's made impeccable judgments with driving. So proud of him, guys. He's just such a fucking awesome kid. And some of it's my nurture, but a lot of it's nature. And we've just had such a cool upbringing together. (laughs) It's just like watching your work come out. And he has said to me so many times, like, I don't know how lucky, how I got so lucky to get you as a mom. Like my friend's parents are just, they're mean, they fight, they say the worst things to their kids. Like they say really hurtful things to their kids because they're mad. And he said, I just like, you're so respectful. And I'm not talking out of my ass, you guys, all the things I tell you are based in like my experience, but also I see it happen out in the world. So yeah, creating that connection again, that connection of like, I want you to have all this freedom and please, please, please use me as the crutch. That's why I'm here. And then again, another thing we could bring up is like crossing the line. Like, when do you want to protect your kid? And when are you edging into helicopter parenting? When are you doing too much? When are you not allowing the freedom? And I think it just starts, I talk about this all the time, so this isn't shocking, but it's just building that muscle. So it is making your children think for themselves, making them do for themselves. A lot of schools have a no rescue policy. If your kid forgets their homework, their water bottle, their mittens in the dead of winter, tough luck. You're shit out of luck. No moms are allowed back in the building. You can't drop this stuff off. The children have to suffer the consequences, the natural consequences, because we were having a few years there where rescuing kids was rampant. And so if you are constantly rescuing your child, constantly bringing homework they forgot, constantly bringing their mittens, they're never going to learn, right? They're always going to just rely on you. So you're not building that muscle, that independent muscle, which isn't just about independence. It's about teaching them good judgment. It's about allowing them judgment, allowing them to completely fuck it up and then dealing with that. And then not necessarily punishing because they made a bad judgment, but really sifting through it, really having the dialogue of how did this go? At what point could we have turned this around, right? At what point did you know this was out of control? At what point You know, and that's where you start to teach the judgment where it's like, I knew I just had a funny feeling going into the party that there would be drugs there. Okay, great. Next time you have that funny feeling, 
text an ex. I'll get you out of there. Don't go into the party. Go do something else. Yeah. So we can almost always, all of us, when something goes wrong, we can almost always go back and say, ah, I started to go downhill then and I didn't bail out when I should have. And so that's where I see parents being overprotective or too stringent in the rules, too quick to do those aggressive punishments. And it's reactionary because we're fearful, but we have to train ourselves also to build the muscle. We have to build that muscle of not being fearful. Like your kid driving, I haven't had this crippling fear of Pascal driving because he drove so much before his driver's test and he did so well on it. And he just has like excellent reaction time. He doesn't panic under stress. So these things, like I knew this would bode well, but there have been nights where it's been late. The other night it started to snow. The roads were getting icy and I start to have that little heart flutter. But I also have to train my muscle to not freak out till it's time to freak out. And I'm like, okay, if he gets into an accident, okay, we'll deal with that then. But why am I future casting? Why am I biting my nails now? Like, let's trust him till we can't trust anymore. And unfortunately, that's the nature of trust. We have to lean into the trust until we can't. But to withhold that trust and to assume the worst all the time, it doesn't bode well in the, the tween and teen years. They're really craving their independence and they're really craving their own judgment and making mistakes. So yeah, connection, connection, connection. We take all of these lessons from the toddlers. We take it right into that six to 12, 12 to 18. And then again, we just temper it with more connection, more conversation, and more curiosity. I think those are the guiding pillars for me is connection, curiosity, and conversation. There's probably going to be a lot of chaos in there too. (laughs) All right, you guys, hope that was great for your tweens, your six to twelves. And as always, I appreciate you guys so much and hope you have a beautiful day and rock on. Okay. Bye everyone. Just a reminder, if you need additional resources, I have Oh Crap Potty Training. I have Oh crap, I have a toddler. Those books are available everywhere you want to find a book. <laughs> you can also go to my website, jamieglowacki.com, where you can book private sessions with me, buy any of my courses. Those are really geared towards potty training help. And also I'm on Instagram. I'm not on Facebook anymore and I'm not on Twitter. I'm on Instagram, jamie.glowacki, and I do a lot of lives and uh, usually posting a lot of good information. So those are extra resources for you. And as always, rock on. Have an awesome day.